The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? Hope you're staying well, looking after yourself and getting ready to enjoy this bank holiday weekend. As it is the bank holiday, we are taking this weekend off but we didn't want to leave you without anything. So we're having a little throwback to an episode from May 2020. In this episode, Misha and I chat with the brilliant Jamie Lapsley. And it felt really important to share this episode in particular because what we discussed throughout this episode is still really important and actually in some ways even more so um, now, two years on. You can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. Send us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You can follow both Louise and I on social media as well. Louise is Ms. Louise Oliver at Ms. Louise Oliver on both Instagram and Twitter. That's right, that's what I'm saying. Yep, Instagram and Twitter. And I am at Elaine Stirrett on Twitter and at Elaine.Stirrett on Instagram. Now, for today's episode, since it's the bank holiday weekend, I say what have whatever you want. Splash out, whether that be on something fruity, something fizzy, something tropical. But you know, you can always just have a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax and enjoy. We are super excited. It's me and Elaine here tonight Hi. with the amazing production designer. Jamie Lapsley. Welcome, Jamie. um, Welcome, Jamie. Thank you for joining us here on Zoom. We're all at home drinking our respective drinks. Yes, teetotal, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Teetotal, absolutely. It's all tea. Jamie, if you would like to um, introduce yourself, um, give our lovely listeners uh, an idea of the kind of amazing work that you've been doing. Um, Yeah, I'm a production designer who kind of took a quite circuitous route to it in the end um came up through industrial design at art school and then didn't really go into screen media but found a real job and eventually lost my mind um started apprenticing sort of in theater design way way back in sort of 2000 2001 um and then was hired as a, an art director um, with the BBC with a production designer there, a um, chap called Alan Wright, who passed away, sadly, a few years into our working relationship. Um, and it sort of strangely catapulted me into stepping up as a designer because I'd worked with one person exclusively, I had no contact in the industry. I was about sort of two years into my career and I didn't know anyone but the designer I'd worked with and the, and the various crews underneath me. So I found myself at the BBC and slowly but surely over the years have learned 
storytelling, I suppose, is the best way to put it, and, and learn how sort of the skills I have and the instincts I have, I can express using design as a medium to do that. Um, you know, rather than, I guess when I started, it was very visually led. And now everything I do is incredibly visual and quite somewhat stylized, but that's an iterative process out of the story. So yeah, and did all that, got into kids TV for a bit, kind of the BBC didn't ask me back at one point because I think I had too many opinions. Um, (laughs) You're in the right place then, welcome, welcome. Um, (laughs) And then worked in sort of independent cinema for probably about 10 years solidly. Um, until that sort of dried up a little bit, sort of mid-2010, 2015, and took a punt um, and got a TV gig in London um, on a project called Fearless, which sort of opened a ton of doors for me as a designer. And I've always been quite, um, I guess, aggressive in terms of the type of design I do and how much I push the project and how much I push my collaborators, sometimes much to their chagrin. Um, <laughs> but, it's, uh, but it worked. And then we, you know, the biggest kind of splash I made was um, Bodyguard, I suppose, um, for the BBC, which went nuts worldwide. Mm. And, you know, it was, was, you know it, was, it was brutal to make, given, again, <laughs> like ambition versus time. But I came off that feeling really kind of, you know, quite confident, but it's, as with everything, you can never predict the way your career is going to go. And then, um, well, in the last, well, over a year ago, just over a year ago, in sort of the last 18 months, I finally sort of came to terms with my actual identity, I guess, um, and sort of let go of uh, the masquerade of being James um, and found the industry incredibly supportive like I, I you know I I sort of just strode on I mean I think it's one of those well, I'm very lucky I'm very fortunate given what I do and given my position within productions you know I'm the more than often the second creative hired on something and it's a you know it's a position of authority and a position of responsibility and people yeah. take me seriously and you know I, I strode onto the production a job which comes out on May 27th, big plug called We Hunt Together, an <laughs> alibi on Sky, and it's astonishing. Okay, brilliant. Um, we'll plug the life out of that when it comes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I got this amazing reaction when I went for this interview, and they were expecting old me, basically, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, it had started to filter out through. I'd kind of done a few announcements on social media, what was going on. And it was, um, it was quite complex because I've always been, I guess, visibly trans um in my life i've done you know i've done burlesque you know i've done drag um all the way it's as a as an ostensibly straight male for my adult life and i found a way to compartmentalize my gender that way so it kind of was not a surprise to a lot of people um but didn't make its way down so i went for this interview and it was incredibly validating because the people on the project just just assumed this had been me forever, you know, and it's, and that's been the consistent response that I found to, to that. So I've, I've found that being Jamie and being myself um, has been liberating, you know, there's, um, it's very difficult at times, obviously, it changes your circumstances in many ways, whether you want it to or not, 
um, you know, there's choices you have to make. There's ways of trying to find a way through. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, no, I feel, I mean, the last job I made choices as a designer that I don't think James would have made. And I'm not oh, talking okay. about, you know, James as in someone who's not here anymore. You know, I'm, it's literally, it's me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's one, <laughs> one path, do you know what I mean? Like there's no, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of kind of uh, nomenclature and lots of language around sort of trans issues, which are, boggle my mind in a way um because they're about sort of erasing the past mm. and you know and as much as i would like to think back that maybe i could have addressed this sooner it's like well actually no my time is now do you know what i mean like you you do something like this or you accept something like this because this isn't you know it's not a choice but it's an acceptance of the truth um and you do when it's right for you so it's kind of um but yeah, so I've just tangentialized massively then from the question. But yeah. It doesn't matter. No, um, but yeah, no, so is, I kind exactly of, what you said. That's your path. That's yeah, no, that and, it, and it's all tied in. You know, I did a pro- the project I did particularly was creatively, we when you see it, there's a trail that came out at the beginning of the year, I think. And it's lush. I mean, the colour work in it and and what it looks like and the way we told the story is is nuts. And my producer quite beautifully described the design as eccentric. And I was just like, I'll have that. Like, that's amazing. You know? like, <laughs> like, that's a back of the net kind of comment, you know, because it's kind of like so much of what I do in my career has been, um, excuse me, clear my throat, has been invisible in a way. You know, I've done a few like seminars with the Design Guild at Pinewood and with um, things like Focus in London, some of the industry trades about projects I've been involved in, particularly Bodyguard. And people are astonished at the amount of work that went into that and from design. And it's like, well, yeah, like we controlled everything. You know, we built the home office. We, you know, I supervised Julia Montague dying. It was that one of those weird moments when you see that everyone going up to collect the BAFTA for the the virgin must-see moment. I'm just sitting there going, I won that. Like, <laughs> I storyboarded that. I designed all the pyrotechnics with the SFX and built it. You know, oh, but as a me. designer, it's incredibly holistic. Um, and I think this project is one which is strangely where the design is visible. But it's an artistic risk, essentially. We've, we've, we've stretched, you know, people... Again, people ask questions like, this doesn't look like uh, what I expect. And myself and the director, Carl Tibbetts, um, who hilariously turns out we were born in the same hospital, like two months apart or something like that. When we were um, <laughs> and we've never met him. And then we worked on this job together and become firm, fast friends. But, you know, he and I made these choices quite early. We're going to do something that no one is going to expect visually. Um, and it's... Uh, yeah, no, it's. It, I'm excited. Hopefully, it goes down well because it's insane narratively. Lots of time jumps. It's very gory, very dramatic. Um, made on a shoestring, but it still looks, you know. Sorry, plug, 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 plug. plug, plug but it's exciting. It. No, it is. It's absolutely exciting. And it's nice when stuff is made on a shoestring, but you know that actually that tension brings out some really exciting, like, creative problem solving. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm doing it a disservice. You know, we were, we were appropriately funded, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's uh, never appropriately funded in film and TV. You could always um, use more was, money. But it was, a, it was a sense of we were 
you know, our production team, our producer, particularly Lisa Osborne, our line producer, Michael Robbins, um, everybody understood what we were trying to do as storytellers. And every choice we made and every, you know, lots of kind of pushback to the execs and collaboration with the writer, lots of rewriting to make it workable and to make it shootable rather than just being given like a fair complete. This is the story. These are the scenes. These are the locations. You've got this much money. We went in and redesigned not the structure, but just the what, you know, what, as, what was written was now not as, let's say, in terms of the settings was not what we delivered. We made choices that allowed us to put punch, you know, much higher above our, you know, our weight as it were. Um, but no, it was good. And, and, and again, Carl, I have to you know, big him up. He's amazing because like he, he's come on with this journey with me as Jamie, because that job was full of challenges and there were people ancillary to production where there was, uh, I guess, problematic issues that were resolved through the support of the entire crew. You know, the amount of love I got and my art department, my, my team, my girls were just like, I mean, Kate stamped my art director, just called me art mom the whole time. And, and for someone who's, you know, like I'm fresh out of the box. I'm a new woman. Do you know what I mean? Like this is hilariously I'm not. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, you know, yeah. It's that moment of like, actually nothing's changed. I've just stopped pretending to be a boy is the best <laughs> way of articulating how I feel about myself um and just the level of support I got from them and the family we came I mean it was a hilarious moment in sort of the back end of the shoot and I got my uh appointment with the gender clinic and I got my prescription for my hormone therapy and they <laughs> they made me a cake we had a, basically we were out on location and we had a party I'll send you the clip Oh yeah, please do. Um, on Insta. And they and they made me a boob cake and sang happy estrogen to you. And that was just <laughs> absolutely fucking decking myself. But that's you know, and it was one of those moments. It was like, I'm in the right place. These are the right people in my life. Yeah. Um, you know, and no one, you know, people stumble over pronouns with me, and you know, I'm somewhat androgynous quite a lot at the time, and I don't fit any I guess I don't fit any expected paradigm for people's understanding of what a trans person is. Um, I kind of relish that. Do you know what I mean? I love it, to be honest. It's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not what you expect, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. And there's all sorts of issues that are, with transgender identity particularly, which I, as someone who has played visibly with their gender throughout their entire adult life, don't ascribe to because I don't feel I'm chasing in a like a an aesthetic in a sense and that's not to say that people who don't who do do that are, are wrong in that but it's kind of like I feel very privileged that I've I've kind of I, I don't know I guess I've worked I worked out a lot of kinks about how I see myself 10 years ago I won you know I won a pageant when I was in 2007 it was tranny of the year or something like this <laughs> fabulous so I kind of you know I've done but at the same time, still been horrifically terrified and self-aware that I couldn't express my identity in the way I felt I needed to because of the, the fallout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Terrified of what the world would think. And the compartmentalizing of it through performance, through burlesque, which tied into like making and costume, and all became this, you know, this kind of 
I guess a narrative that you know James was arty so it's it's allowable and it's like actually mm. this very strange realization that those moments between the performance and going home were bliss because perfor- like stage performance is terrifying and fucking shocking I get battered every time <laughs> just like you know but but it was this this idea, it's this contract I'd made with myself was that if I do this, if I'm bold enough to get up on stage, I have the right to spend the rest of the evening being myself. Um, which is hilarious because you dress as a fucking showgirl. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> the best kind of dress. <laughs> yeah. But it's weird as well because it's like for me, like seeing the 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 the, the expansion of drag, mm. um, which I I did a bit of in London in sort of 2016. And got involved and kind of didn't really, I don't, I never fitted really. I mean, I had a horrific like crash out. One of the girls who was in Drag Race, Cheryl Cole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Luke, <laughs> uh, we were in this same competition together and the same heat and they were all amazing. And I went up and I was caned. And at some point I will put the footage on the internet. <laughs> like anxiety, like it's traumatic. <laughs> I looked hot as fuck, but it was, you know, like proper <laughs> like fake ass on it. Um, but someone just said, it was like, this isn't drag. You're just a hot woman on stage getting undressed. <laughs> and Yeah, and <laughs> your point is, whose problem? You know, and it was one of those ones. And it's like, it was kind of, it's, it's, that's been fascinating, seeing that and having people saying, I bet you love it. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't, mm. I don't know how I feel about it because it's, it's complex with my identity, you know, I've, I've never, and even then that was, that was that weird thing. I remember going to one gig with um, a bunch of them and, and meeting this amazing um, like six, seven queen, um, uh, Sybil Ward, who runs this amazing uh, night in um, Limehouse and sort of, um, in the, and she was like, you're the straight drag queen, you're dad drag, aren't you? And it was this thing that was like, <laughs> I guess so, yeah. But at the same time, I Dad's really, drag. Wasn't, really I wasn't drag. Yeah. It really was like a, you know, a kind of heightened expression of who I was. Um, and there's an anecdote to this, which kind of is weirdly, like I went out in Halloween this year, just gone. And I went as my art director, Kate, who is fierce. Like you should fucking get her on. She's amazing. Bring <laughs> And I went as her, but it involved me putting the costume of drag on again and changing the nature of my face and how I look and fake tits and an ass and all this sort of stuff. And it broke me. It literally broke. I broke a heel on the way out and I had to go home halfway through the night because it was mentally exhausting and terrifying. And every time I saw myself in the mirror, I didn't recognize who I was. I saw James. I'd erased my identity as Jamie, as a trans woman. I'd, I'd obliterated who she'd become and, and how she dealt with her identity and, and how she deals with the world day to day and standing on the Northern Line three times a day, you know. And, it was, and that was a revelation. And it was like, okay, that's really funny because those tits are never going in again. You know, it's, I think that's one of the ones when, like, the kind of the first week out, you know, after sort of coming out and accepting who I was in April of last year, it was, I think day one, I put my, I put the fake boobs in. And then like, by the end of the day, I'm just like, set them on fire, go away. <laughs> like, and it was, and it's been 
if, if that's been a journey, like letting go of, I guess, the performance of another person, because I was performing mm. as James and I was used to performing as a female persona during the drag. And there's these two, these, are these two versions of a person. And there's someone in the middle who's organic, who isn't an exercise in trying to fool anyone or, or yeah. convince anyone that I'm anything other than I am. You know, I think when I was in London, one thing I did, I had green hair for about three months. And it was just, I felt empowered by it. I felt mm-hmm. like I was making a statement so that every space I went into, it was clear who I was and what I was, you know, and I felt empowered by that. And it's like, you know, I, I, I'm a motor mouth, as you can probably tell. Great. Um, but it's, you know, like awkward social situations. One of the first things I do, and it's like, it was a complete defense mechanism is I talk and I burst the bubble. It's in my head. I know it's completely in my head. But for me, there's an anxiety about people's expectations of who I really am and how I'm going to sound and how I'm going to behave and blah, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, fucking get out of the way. Come on. Like, there's stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't. I go, oh, well, I'm going to stand on this tube feeling confused and weird because, um, you know, someone's lingering too long. And, it, and it's that thing. And you get into this sort of non-confrontational of just saying hello to fucking everybody <laughs> which is like you know it's hilarious again you know on the piccadilly line going out to wood green and, and, and someone's Hi. someone's eyeballing you quizzically and he's like hey doing and they're looking at you like oh fuck okay like you're, you're human oh my god like okay you don't have lasers you're like oh my gosh she talks yeah, no yeah but it and again like like trying to pierce the expectation mm. you know like you know there's lots of there is lots of expectation about how you should conform. And I think I'm unwilling to get in a box. Good. You know, I spent yeah. a long time in a box, fighting the edges and climbing out every now mm-hmm. and then and having a riot. But there's no fucking way I'm getting back into someone else's idea of what a woman is or what a trans exactly. woman is. You know, and, and if you've got an issue with how you describe me, then that's your problem. Like, I don't, I can't care how you see me and what you think I am or who you think I am. I know who I am. People who love me know who I am. And the people who respect me give me, respect me enough to, to, to give me the space in their lives that I, I'm enjoying that. You know, the way I'm treated by people is vastly different than it was. Yeah. Vastly, who am I? It's a very posh, vastly. Um, <laughs> oh, vastly. Rough. Yeah, darling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. There's an amazing point on We Hunt Together when I was pushing my art director around in a wheelchair and I had my hair pinned up, and Kate was like massive sunnies smoking a fag, and we were Patsy and Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Bolly, darling, Bolly. <laughs> like about three people called it as we, we were just dicking around, like, you know, they were on the set. We were kind of prepping this, this wheelchair for a stunt. Shh, spoilers. Um, <sighs> Uh, and, and, and it's one of those moments anyway yeah so um i don't know i've lost my train of thought now no it was never, just talking no, it's about, never lost it was, it was never lost you were just talking about respect and i just i wanted to say yeah because it doesn't matter what people's per- perception of it is like you respect you for you it's not yeah. whether you're a trans woman or or whether you're whatever you are 
whatever box or not box you I want mean, to I put think, yourself I think that's in. One of the hardest things to kind of square away with the discourse that goes on at the moment is everyone is everyone's fighting their corners, but they're fighting into corners that are completely heteronormative. Mm-hmm. And it's yawn. This, and 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 there's language as well around identity and around the way people see themselves that gets appropriated that describes cis normative heteronormative relationships or even traditional queer relationships that yeah. people use that conflates the argument you know and it's and some people own it and do it and some people have issue with it and I just think it's 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 fascinating navigating that now because I don't engage much with that. I think, you know, the strongest thing I can do is be visibly me, platform myself as much as I can. Obviously, I'm a complete narcissist because of what I do. And it's all about, you know, getting the next gig. Come on, let's have Welcome. it. <laughs> but, but just by being myself and being visibly me, you know, I've given talks at the DNA D Festival in Shoreditch last year, the advertising stuff. And I've, and I, I feel that if I can do that, then I can break down barriers for others. Because I'm, I, can, I, I got to the point with myself because I knew people who'd gone on a version of the, no, I'm not going to say that word, journey. Oh the G sake. word. Like, <laughs> there's no end point. You know, like, I, it's a fascinating, um, I guess it's my, I, so much is peculiar to, my, to me and how I see the world, how I experience the world. But there's this idea that, like, the beginning and the end of my journey was the day I stepped outside. Like, that was it. Like that was it. That was the entirety of my transition, was that moment. That was, it was done. And, and specifics of my hormone therapy and anything else that goes on in my life are irrelevant to who, how I feel. You know, certain parts of it are about ego and about identity, about people. But this idea that I'm working towards something, I really struggle with. But I guess I'm privileged and I know I am because of where I am in my career. And, and I'm there because I lived as a man. I have to identify that. I can't, I can't, I can't deny that truth. You know, that's, 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 you know, the risks I took and how bullshit I was as a designer. I got away with stuff that I would not have got away with if I was myself. You know, and that's, that's, that's one of those weird moments when, mm-hmm. as a, as a, I guess, as a trans woman, is I realise I'm straddling a fence. I realise, you know, and that's not a, like, a euphemism to undercarry. <laughs> Well, it, it can be. Like, if you want it yeah. to be, like, just crack, crack on. Like, it's yours. Yeah, yeah. Run with it. Like, <laughs> just do a comic strip with it or something. I don't care. Like, Run with that straddling. Down. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie's amazing straddling metaphor. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, but the, you know, my existence is... I'm, I'm looking on both sides of the fence because living as a man, I didn't, I didn't fit. You know, so I watched, I guess, male behavior and men interacting and being themselves. And I know I did from a very distance, distanced, not distance, a distanced point of view mentally. 
um, you know, like, and, and, and found myself perplexed by behaviours and the expectations of what you should do. And just like, what? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, no, I don't get this. <laughs> but there's some parts of it. But then, you know, I, again, like I realised my career and, and, and those choices, you get seen and I see it. You see it. I've seen it in women, my, my, my female collaborators. I think one of the things I've, I've, one of the biggest revelations I've had is all my friendships are female and all of my, and I always have been. And when I'm at work, my like, key collaborators, I form quite emotionally intimate relationships with. And that's always been very complicated because it's like, what's actually going on here? You know, as again, inverted commas, but, you know, living as a man and, 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 and everything's always been misconstrued, I guess, with other people. But the revelation, like this is utter hindsight, but I'm seeing it play out now with some of the relationships I've formed over the last year, is that they were just girlfriends. Yeah. You know, like my, my, my baseline way of forming relationships people with people is female. And I didn't know this, and I'm not, I'm not, this isn't like a flag in the ground staking a claim as a woman thing. This is just like, it's an understanding of like what, how much I am willing to surrender to someone that I become friends with and, and be as, as open as I can. And men confound me. You know, I've got my, the, the one that disproves of all is my best mate, who's a director, writer director, Steve. And he and I are just like peas in a pod, but that's, it's like a creative union. Like yeah. we've worked together for nearly a decade and, and we see the world in the same way and we see stories in the same way. Um, so he and I just natter about movies endlessly. So, and it's kind of, it, but beyond that, it's like, oh yeah, should we go and play football or even watch it? And it's not <laughs> to say, you know, like, and that's not to say that not doing that is a particularly female choice. It's just that, these are the tropes of male society that mm-hmm. I, could, I looked on through a miasma, just going, what are you, I don't get this. Like, I just don't get what's going on here. So. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, yeah. I've got so many things in my head. So I know. I okay, just, go. Um, I'm like, <laughs> well, I will just talk forever. No, it was great though. Like, I'm just, um, I, I really respect you for saying, you know, that you can, the t- straddling. Uh, here we go again. <laughs> I'm going to take that to my grave now. You are going to have to take it to your Jamie, grave. Jamie, hashtag I'm, straddling. Like, hashtag proper, straddling. I'm going to get, I'm going to get, like, what, what do you get, dogpiled for that on Twitter? <laughs> <Dog-piled>. <laughs> oh, bruh. Str- straddling that fence. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, this noise is me opening another can, so. Great, do it. <laughs> for our listeners, crack another can. <laughs> That's your cue to turn the page. No, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. And moving on. No, I just, uh, yeah, I find that really, um, I really respect you for saying that. And um, because I know there's such a, there has been issues within the trans community about this subject. Um, yes. And that. Yeah, I think, and I think it's, there's a preordained narrative, which I think comes from, you know, I think that's the thing is like, the moment I sort of, engage with who I was like I was the least informed person around me like everyone in my life knew more about trans issues than I did I just knew that I couldn't keep up this masquerade it's like okay I need to surrender to how I see myself um but so much of it is or it feels like and I'm happy to be wrong on this 
that so much of the doctrine or the dogma or the expectation is based on the way that medical services have been gatekept, kept, gatekeeping, or whatever, I don't know yeah. how you say that word, um, historically, in that to get access to any support sort of support, you had to fully commit to an end game of heterosexual relationships and full surgery. Yeah. And that has filtered in and informed everyone's expectation of what this is. You know, people say, oh, do you want to be a woman? It's like, I don't want to be anything. I am me. You're you. I'm not striving to be something. I'm just being myself. But the world has massively changed because for me, you know, the times that I've edged onto dealing with this and dealing with my identity throughout my life, there's been sort of two key points. And at both points, it was terrifying. You know, I remember leaving home to come to Scotland, 95, to come to art school. And I was certain that I'd get here and I'd deal with it. And I would be open about who I was. Not a fucking chance. Not a chance. Like, I do so not... So had you kind of had that awareness from that, like, that early on, you, you kind of knew but were <laughs> suppressing it? Well, um, I don't know if this is the case for everyone, but I sort of think it is, is that this isn't something you come to realise. This is just something you've known forever and you expect. You accept. Accept it. Like, yeah. someone's, you know, it's when someone asks me, like, how long have you known? It's like, as far back as I can remember. You know, like watching Ghostbusters in 1984 and Sigourney Weaver, Zool, and just thinking that's a wicked frock. Do you know what I mean? And just being like, <laughs> not Zool. Yeah, no, she goes as the, the, the other one. Yeah, 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 and the blue, the blue outfit. It's yeah, blue but it's just, outfit, like, yeah. it's just like, it's just like, it's baked in. And it's been my identity for my entire life. I left home fully intending to do this and then realised that actually, like the language around it, in 1995 was like you know like um what was it there's like someone showed something the other week and it was literally like a a newspaper headline and it was someone who transitioned and got married um and and it was a photo of them on their wedding day and it hit like page four of the sun and their tagline was you know butchers for the chop or sausages for the chop and you're just like okay I wish people could see Misha Nye's face right now. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like the language was that. It's like okay, so you're that. So you're so you're either a Bond girl. um, Was it Tula who was in uh, For Your Eyes Only? Mm. And you're kind of like super skinny and 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 plastery, and you're that, or you're a a joke, or a sex worker, or a a statistic. Uh, Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and slowly but surely, as time has gone on, that's been tempered. So even the language, like the idea of how I describe myself was, it was a revelation to be able to call myself just trans because having engaged in, let's say, inverted commas, the community, as it were, over the last 20 years, in Dragon Burlesque, it's been fine. But to be known as a transvestite is really problematic. Um, you know, some people do use that transformation in the clothing as something to, you know, as part of their intimate life. Um, you know, like obviously, do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a thing. But the language around that 
or transsexual, which has it is like it's a fucking loaded word. Mm-hmm. Like it's a really, it's a really loaded, loaded word. And and sort of navigating my way over sort of twenty years through those various communities and finding myself saying, I don't fit. Like I don't fit. I don't understand what this is. And then in the last maybe six or seven years, the concept of being transgender and that being a catch-all for people across, across both, you know, ascribed genders, male and female, as being a term has been, has allowed, for me particularly, allowed me to let go of my fear of, of who I am. Because that's all it is. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to put your head above the parapet and you know yeah. that doing that, accepting who you are will do that, you know? Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, I kind of think, you know, people ask me, oh, do you wish you'd done it? I was like, I tried. You know, I tried late 2000s, a few times I was working in theatre. I, you know, I'd throw some hair on and, and go to work. And, and it was hard. It was tricky. And it was, but again, for me, the language wasn't even to describe how I saw myself. Mm. Was, did you feel that people didn't understand it as well? Do you think because maybe these it hadn't been kind of fully unpacked and, and widespread kind of talked about? Do you well, think people, people kind of struggle to understand? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, people still don't. Yeah. I think that's why, you know, like I, I think I'm, I don't know, I feel quite articulate about talking about this because I find myself having to explain to people so yeah. much like what it means to me particularly. And I find myself, I enjoy the, the, the discourse with other trans women as well, because again, I've got a particular viewpoint and, and I, I, I see this in some, some of my friends, I see the way they respond to me in my viewpoint and I can see them unpacking their own concept of who they should be or who they think they should be or who they think the world is telling them to be. Mm. Um, because again, that's it. It's like, okay, you're going to transition, you know, when are you having reassignment? And really? Like, yeah. that's your question? Yeah. Like, what, what's, what's physically my anatomy, how I'm dealing with myself? And it's like, that's the fucking least of my worries. Do you know what I mean? And again, this is maybe way too um, uh, honest. I don't know. But that's, that's a secondary concern to me existing as a woman in the world and dealing with day-to-day life. Yeah. And for a lot of people, you know, there's, there's very interesting things about diagnosis within, within access to medical services. And this all goes back to that idea of like, so historically, this security system all around the houses, but historically you, you had to be like only expressing an interest in, as a female, male partners. And I'm into women I've always been into women you know like that's not going to metamorphosize magically to suit someone else's gender so you had to do that and then you had to commit to a full reassignment and you had to let go of your old life and 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 all of that has filtered into the way the world people see trans people um but it's not it's not my experience and I don't think, I don't think it's, I think it's good for anyone's mental health. You know, I think, I think there's a really interesting thing about the way that, you know, becoming aware of the concept of the patriarchy as a 
you know, as becoming a woman in that sense, or sorry, wrong words again on myself, you know, like letting myself be who I am is best. Um, is that so many of the expectations that trans women aspire to or seem to aspire to or aesthetically aspire to are what's pushed down onto women, onto teenage girls particularly. Yeah, from, yeah, from the patriarchy, absolutely. You know, and how you should look. And then yeah. you see within the trans community people falling over themselves to present that version of femininity back to the world. And that's not to say they're wrong for doing that because they ain't got a fucking choice. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the way, the, that's the way society has deemed that they will be acceptable to everyone else as women. And you're just like, fuck off. Like your expectations of, of who I become have nothing to do with my day-to-day life, nothing to do with my relationships, nothing to do with the way, you know, people see me or people are attracted to me or I'm attracted to them. You know, that's, that's the biggest revelation as well for someone, for myself particularly, is like letting go of my own preconceptions mm. of what my life would be and, you know, how the world would see me. It's, you know, it's, um, there's, there's fucking tons to unpack. It's crazy. So. Yeah. <laughs> You're so right. Like there is that thing of um, that idea of and is whether you're born female or not that you have to strive to look like a certain way or yeah. fit into that box. And it's... Yeah, I think an amazing one. I was at um, uh, the Design Guild Awards in, in Park Lane, a hotel in Park Lane in like start of Feb. And before, before we weren't allowed to go yeah, anywhere. Before, when we could go out. Um, oh, and, I remember those days. And, and the woman sat next Bless. to me talking to... Um, talking to myself and uh, and and she questioned why I was wearing trainers and I just black dress and some shiny kicks and you know some jewels and I was just like I'm me I'm not doing the performative drag thing like screw that like this is how I look you know I've got a massive fucking face so it's fine <laughs> but it's like it's and she had this thing and she's like, well, if you, if, you know, if you want to be a woman, then women have to wear heels to these things. And I literally was like, and um, Bex, the girl I was with on the night, she just like looked over and was just like, basically, are you the patriarchy? Like, like yeah. what's happened here? I thought he like, what? <laughs> you're, telling, you're telling me as a trans woman that I'm not womanly enough, but you're also telling every other woman in the building that you have to wear heels to be a woman when you go to a posh dude because it's like, <laughs> That's what, and, you, and it was like, oh my God, oh my God, this is, this is insane. Mm-hmm. And again, it's so ingrained. But again, that's the point. It's like, like she's not at fault saying that because that's the way it's baked in. That's yeah. Like, and, and, and so many people think it's about that as well. I think, you know, what this sense. What when um, the girl with you said to her about, are you the patriarchy? Um, you register <laughs> at all jokingly do you know what I mean it would be kind of you know you laugh this shit off because you're just yeah. like horrified but it was that moment of just like okay well there's nothing we can do do you know what I mean it's yeah. like did she recognize what she'd said and kind of like yeah, show that because she did because she was asking quite a lot of questions about what it meant and who I was and and how and she was really inquisitive and asked really astute questions and I could see 
this stuff that she'd maybe been exposed to in terms of discourse and concepts yeah. that she was struggling with when she was in the room with someone in the sense of just like, this is not what I thought. And again, that's the <laughs> point. It's like, this is not what I thought. My God, she doesn't sound like I expect either. Do you know what I mean? There's still quite a lot of bass in her voice. <laughs> yeah, you know. And, and, and again, again, that's, I think that's a, um, not to kind of, again, I'm, I'm very wary of the way I see the world being skewed by my 20 years of fucking about with it publicly. Um, because I'm comfortable with who I see in the mirror. Mm. And there's certain components of this, uh, hormone therapy and stuff, which I'm embracing and the changes that's causing. But there's certain parts of this as well that people engage in to achieve a level of passing or, or being seen as or read as women. And I can understand why. I can understand why that happens. It's just my own peculiar path. I think it's so funny you say that though because I I I really I I I want people to embrace that though because everybody is on their own path right and um you know that feeling of having to wear high heels to a fucking do or you know the fact that you need to be a size 10 uh, you know, all of that, it's not... I'm six not what, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm in trouble, like, out the gate, I'm in trouble. I'm 44 years old, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> some things about me that are just, like, they're baked in. I'm, there's not much I can do, so... <laughs> but I think that it's just part of... It's all part of us trying to kind of retrain ourselves when we're meeting people and we're interacting with people and that it should just be the new normal to speak to people about these kind of things. Like not even speak to, but just be that instead of just immediately putting things in boxes and presuming them to all have labels, mm-hmm. ha- having that kind of open mind to just speak to people about oh, yeah. how, like what their pronouns are and the kind of outfits they like to wear and, and just being able to kind of talk to people about, their own experiences as opposed to presuming their experiences. Well, I think it's interesting because I was really wary of like asking for a female pronoun at the start. I got it from lots of people. Um, but I felt like I was, I was so nervous. Because you do, you know, like I'm just day one out in the world. And, and again, not particularly, you know, I, I, like I, I, I sort of star myself after my first sort of mentor, which is like Sarah Pauly, this um, theatre designer. So like most designers, I wear lots of black and I'm just a bit of a rock goth. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's my inner kind of 80s rock. <laughs> tech, I mean, you're yeah. checking all my boxes right now. So it's a, it is yeah. the vibe. <laughs> um, and, and, but, and it was kind of interesting kind of doing that, but then, the number of people on that production, maybe like half the people I spoke to, I had to have the conversation about where this is going. And it was interesting because some people just were just like, oh, that's you and that's been you forever. And that was astonishing to hear, to have someone turn around to me and, and just assume that I'd been addressing my own identity in the way that I am now for a long time. And I was like two months in, was like, 
redonkulously validating. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that they they had no concept of it, of there being anything that I was pushing towards because they were just like, okay, there's a fully formed human in the room with us. There's someone who's confident and who's good at their job and, you know, she's rocking it. It's fine. She's beautiful. <laughs> Very much. Um, but there's some people who were kind of like, oh, so what does this mean? And what are you going to do? And all of this. And it's kind of like, okay, I'm not going to give you a row, but none of your fucking business. Yeah. Fucking business. Um, and also... None of your fucking business. <laughs> yeah. But also, but also, also like, like, you know, I felt this, this obligation to have that conversation. You know, I'm, I'm, I've lived enough of a life to kind of see what, or, or I have enough arrogance to believe that I know what's important in those situations. And it was yeah. just like, okay, I can't, I can't let you move on from me with an understanding of what transportation is that is based on, um, fucking hell, what, the crying game or something? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like really, that's that's pretty much where most people are. But like Jay Davidson, Stephen Ray, they're just like, yeah, the crying game. Oh, oh, yeah, they're in Stargate. Oh, is it? Oh, is it? Like that, that conversation. <laughs> like you know, sorry, this is like way nope. before most people were born. I'm sorry, like early nineties. I mean, I'm old, used to yeah. nodding along to references I don't get, but it's He's not a second clue. Watch the crime game. Stephen Greer's Stephen Ray, amazing. It's like an amazing film. Misha said it, last week, but, but "Oh, was that is, <laughs> is rooted in a concept of transgender identity that is about passing and about um, uh, the subterfuge of someone masquerading as a woman mm. when they're really not, and the reveal. Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> oh my God, what's the point of watching it now? Like, like, but that was that. That was the big twist. Was that? Yeah. Oh my she's a boy and that's that's the thing is like that idea that conversation it's like no she's not she's not a boy like an anatomically she still has junk yeah yeah boy so far from it you know and i think that's those kind of conversations and the way that the world Again, the way that the world does that and the way that people within the community, and I, there's no such thing as a trans community, just lots of people trying to fight their way through life who come together to fight their corner now more than they ever have. But it's like, again, you know, I made, read an amazing interview. There's a, a theatre practitioner and, and writer, Kate O'Donnell, who used to be one of the uh, sort of in-house drag queens at Hacienda, way, way back in Manchester. Um, And she was talking about the fact that she, in recent years, has let go of the idea of trying to ascribe to a straight feminine identity. And she's accepted the fact that she looks queer. And it's it's beautiful. Her language is, she's so much... She's so far better than I am at explaining, but it's one of those ones. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm trans. I'm different than what you expect, and I present myself a certain way and I behave a certain way that's anomalous to you and your existence. But I, you know, I'm not fucking dainty. <laughs> you know, I've got a mouth. I know what I want. 
Um, <laughs> and it's and it's fascinating, you know. And I get, I do. I feel, as you can tell, I can talk about it a lot. Um, it's a lifetime mm-hmm. of of kind of suppressing this conversation. Yeah. Um, but I feel I feel these conversations aren't yet being had. So much of the conversation at the moment is like a proper war about you no know, respect as women and stop trying to exclude us from life. Mm. Um, and they're happening on, on that fucking um, <laughs> social media platform, yep. which has nothing to do with reality. Um, because my day-to-day is, is a vastly different experience than if you were to read the paper. You know, and when people have, I guess, transgressed to um, on the way they behave towards me, um, the rallying round um, of my peers and the people in my personal life has been astonishing. And it's just like you see it just get nipped in the bud. Mm-hmm. And when there's like seventy people on a production and they all step behind you at a key moment. And are just like, you're out of order. And then when people who maybe struggle or, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the hilarious, oh, hilarious <laughs> moments is, is the idea of people struggling with your pronoun. Because, I, you know, like I say, I'm androgynous and I present a certain way and I behave a certain way. And aesthetically, I look like me. And I think I'm beautiful. And there's people in my life who think I'm beautiful. And that's amazing and wonderful and um, all of that. But it's when someone is struggling with it and they're dropping the he in the whole time because people put it in their minds, um, Adura, um, she might not want this bit to be in, but I'll tell the story anyway. She was struggling on expensive shit. Mm. And she's, because what she said to me was she was convinced it would just drop in and she'd get it. And I was like, no, because I'm the first trans person you've ever met. You've got no way of understanding how all of the emotional and physical triggers you're used to with people in your lives are binary, but you don't understand how baked in they are. And she was like, what what do I do? What do I do? And I was like, well, okay, here's this story. And there's one person on the project who kept getting it wrong. And at one point I sort of had it out and was like, it's really problematic. And it's not problematic because you're offending me. It just creates a question in people's minds as to what's going on about whether or not this is just a phase or it's something you're trying out. It's like, no, this is my lived experience. Mm-hmm. This is my life. Every day of my life, I get up and, you know, some assembly required still. Jamie steps herself out into the world. And this is my life. And I need you to give me the respect in that because if you don't, it creates questions in everyone else's mind. And what he did, he wrote this beautiful letter over the weekend and was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, I had a lot on his mind. The position that he was in the project, he was like, so much to think about. And he wrote me this letter. And then on the first day back, he, he, he basically would short circuit his own brain every morning by knowing that the first words he'd say to me would address who I was in my identity. So the first words out of his mouth, it's quite funny because he's like, you know, a few years down the line for me in terms of seniority in the project. Um, and so 
to be referred to as darling and Hayden sweetheart and and looking good stay girl and this and it was fascinating <laughs> because he really fucking tried but what it did was it set a tone in his head and everyone else's head that carried through and it was utterly transformative and it was this sense of like you know don't don't beat yourself up because you fall over the words and you get them wrong like people don't do it out of malice they, again it's just society is what it is but this was fascinating this sense of just like and i said to adora i says like the way around it is every morning you see me know that you like force it overcook it like completely overdo it like you know go over the top with how you do it and what it'll do is it'll just bake in and sort of by the end of that second day she's like oh yeah okay this is genius and it's just like okay well there you go little little hacks for the human brain because you can't expect you might want and you might deserve but you cannot expect people to just slot into seeing the world through your lens because i do it you know like you're right to want it and you're right because you do deserve it and this is me talking to myself mm-hmm. and everyone else in any position but the expectation that it's going to be fucking easy the expectation that people are going to roll over and do it gracefully and gladly is like the world is not built like that like you know when we talk about that stuff in the patriarchy when we talk about the expectation of gender role when we talk about the expectation of what it is to be a man or what it is to be a woman how people see you you're dealing with people who've had a binary existence for 60 years of their life who've never met anyone who blurs that line anyone who was queer in their life has either been demonstrably like butch or femme, mm-hmm. you know, gay or lesbian, they have ascribed to a certain concept which they then understand. You know, that classic question that they ask kind of gay couples, like who's the man and who's the woman in a relationship? It's just like, what do you think they do? It's fucking insane. It's fucking insane. <laughs> but again, it's that sense of just like, that's what people have got in their mind and you know and i can see like people falling over themselves when they use the word they it's just like oh fuck off that's got to be the easiest one because you're not going to break anyone's heart do you know what i mean it's like <laughs> like that's not complicated but it is but it is but it, what it does it requires people to make an effort with their language and we're not used to doing that we're not used to learning new ways to speak because mm-hmm. words enter our lexicon and enter our vocabulary organically. That's how it works. Or you hear the word furlough, okay. <laughs> lockdown, and they're, and they're used every day in the press and on the news, and it becomes part of your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. You know? And again, that ties into this concept of the word transgender versus transsexual or transvestite. And it's like, okay, the word transgender is like holistic and inclusive and describes the state of being, not a, it's not a physical description. Yeah. You know, it's not, yeah. it's not a definable term. It doesn't, you can't draw a picture of it. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. I love <laughs> that. I think I'm a little bit it's just been with you, Jamie. <laughs> I know I'm like I, I just hope I hope everyone hears this and just feels as absolutely like seen and validated and reassured about 
everything as I do right now. I just feel absolutely empowered. And okay. I was um, I was thinking about what you were saying um, about how when you were first working after you'd kind of like fully kind of come into yourself and you were saying <laughs> just like you navigate that language then because I know, that's I know, I was like, like it's like trying to explain to people the language around it because the language the words aren't fit for purpose yeah you know, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah fascinating yeah. thing that people people use the word and this is probably quite problematic for me to say but people use the word lesbian when describing themselves as transgender and their relationship with women and for me i I can't really go there with those words because for me, what, and this is my experience that describes someone who's lived and is, uh, as a born woman mm-hmm. who has grown up as a girl who has had to deal with the patriarchy one-on-one from when the, the moment they're sexually awakened mm. and deal with the reality of the expectations of parents and fathers and family and men and boys. Yeah. And for me, that word means that it doesn't mean who they fuck. It means their lived experience as a woman mm. coming into themselves. But that's the thing. It's like when you talk about being trans and you talk about it, it's like, I'm not, again, it's not, I'm not becoming a woman. I'm not, I'm just being me. I'm, you know, I, and again, this is probably because I did performance and have played with stuff like this, was James was, uh, to the casual observer, a fully formed human being. But internally, it was a performance and it was a repression of sensibilities. You know, I was hiding and I was pushing back and I was in self-denial. And, you know, those people around me who know me the best have known this all along. And that was the moment of, you know, like, you know, the words where you can't keep pretending you know and and to and to to be kind of and to have that to have someone have that clarity about who you are and understand you that much was astonishing and and it still is and you know it's kind of but it's that sense of just like yeah okay it's a masquerade but that's the sense is everyone just thinks at some point you get to your 40s and you're just like i've got a whim i'm going to become a woman it's like no i just need to stop pretending to be a boy you know and yeah Sorry, I just interrupted, but I just thought what you... Like, no, that's okay, you're you absolutely right. listening to you dance around the language then. I know, and it's, it's so... I find it really interesting because I know that I'm really open and I, I'm, I'm open-minded, but I still... I, I mean, I find myself dancing around words anyway because I it love does. to, like... <laughs> Oh, I, I overthink everything I say, whether I'm saying I wish something I did. completely <laughs> Oh my god. No, I we can we can just swap for a day and then you okay, <laughs> you yeah. change your mind very quickly. But just like fucking so everything it's one of those things that's a really interesting one where I'm always dancing. Um but anyway, what I was actually wanting to say was about how you felt like you were able to be more um brave with your choices and more um kind of like make kind of yeah, design choices that you felt were a bit more um, out there. And I, I, I'm, I was excited to hear about kind of, is there anything else that you've been kind of thinking about that you're like, oh, actually, I really want to try that with your, like, with your work when you're, um, I mean, obviously, I know that the world's slightly changed. Mental. Mm. A little bit on the mental side at the moment. But is there stuff that's kind of 
maybe before this and even maybe through this that you're thinking oh actually I feel like I'm able to express that artistically now um tons like but that just would just like, happen as an artist anyway maybe just loads like you know the there's so one of the things I, I kind of am aware of is this shit James put up with that Jamie won't okay. to speak about myself in the third person in terms of work in terms of the way that I've worn stuff and taken you know I would take a setback as a deserved setback mm. historically you know I've, I've been very I've been reasonably successful very whatever however you want to call it but when things didn't quite work out I always owned the failure massively and believed that I was at fault and, you know, and that's not the case. You know, there's certain things that have happened, certain projects that I've been involved in where it hasn't quite gone my way in terms of staying on something or pursuing something. And I think I rolled over and just thought, well, okay, I'm not good enough. And it's actually just like, no, actually, like that's mine, you know. But the certain stuff I've done, you know, I um, I directed, when I started out, I was a, like a VJ and a graphic designer and did some promos and stuff like this, and, you know, 20 years ago. But very recently, very recently, like four years ago, I directed a short film, um, which was a proof of concept for um, the feature Annie Apocalypse. Um, which is this little kind of secret short. It's on YouTube. Um, I've put it up. <laughs> Probably you're going to get sued at some point. Because um, <laughs> it's not part of the narrative of, of, of the way the film was made. It was this little diversion when it was, it was too soon after Ryan had passed away, the original writer's director. And the material had taken a darker turn and I, so we made this almost nihilistic Tony Scott version of one of the scenes. Um, but it really gave me a taste for getting behind the camera. And I think, but I've always struggled because I've always just thought, well, I don't have a story to tell. And I really fucking do. (laughs) You really do. You're like, oh, oh, yeah. I love love that you said that again. Our listeners can't see Misha and I's face, but we're both looking at our our separate screens like, "Mm, really, Jamie? (laughs) Really? That's it. That's it. It's like when you're suppressing who you are and what your identity is, stuff you don't say and the stuff you don't want to admit to people and stuff you don't want to talk about because it's triggering or it's self-reflective and you want to avoid it you know yeah. like, but it's fascinating because it's like that film has a uh danish girl particularly there's a very interesting story around that which i'll talk to you about but i'm not sure i should um we can cut it. um so a very close friend of mine who i've known for a long time um transitioned in like 2012 I think um and she was uh involved in the production that the director and the star of the Danish girl um were on prior to that a certain musical um and she was quite heavily involved in the in the musical side of it and was you know quite in it with all the actors um and she basically went through her transition during the filming of that first film and it allowed the director and, and the star an insight into the reality of her existence, which prompted them to go ahead and then work on that, on that screenplay. But the stories about that, about certain actors who, um, who it turns out might be considered 
you know, swines as far as the general society concerns, but turns out have absolute hearts of gold, like certain um, Australian gladiators um, who, who, who essentially came to um, her defense in a way that, so this idea of pronouns, like uh, said, said performer was like a terrier with everybody about getting it right. And was just like, not a fucking chance. You know, (laughs) and you're just like, Stan, man, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Stan. Uh, was yeah. that cryptic enough? Have I not mentioned any names that are? Yeah, that was perfect. That any names, and if you absolutely hate it, we'll take it out. But we're good. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> it's it's more it's more my friend. It's more it's their story, and it's kind of you know it's very personal and private. It's a really I'm, lovely insight, isn't it? It's just good for people to know that there are a lot of people out there who really care and want the best yeah. for people yeah i, I think, think that's, that's the nicest part home. of that story yeah, yeah. i mean and for me you as you that. see people wouldn't expect that about that person <laughs> no not at all They're <laughs> They're like, like, yeah yeah. No. yeah but that was the one thing as well like seeing her experience of that and having that conversation and she sort of said that sort of post sort of coming out but seeing her deal with her life and 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 not become that stereotypical statistic or something that you mm. see presented or whatever do you know what I mean yeah that was empowering for me and it's just like you know I've said to her it's like you know I couldn't I couldn't do this if I didn't know you you know like having seen someone um I guess deal with their identity in that way and deal with how to push forward in their lives and just crack on do you know what yeah. I mean just get yeah. on with it like seeing that and going okay like it's you know these things are difficult and terrifying and problematic but they're it's just shit you know there's enough of it going around and seeing her you know seeing how happy she is as herself was like okay like, you can do that you don't have to this isn't this isn't what I thought again this isn't my expectations of this experience this isn't my expectations of how my life would go. Mm. You know, like my own prejudice. I think that's the one thing. It's like, you know, talk about getting out of my own way on it, but it's my own prejudice has been a massive stumbling block about what this meant, like what it actually meant. And it's like, oh, it doesn't mean anything that I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I was so mistaken. (laughs) Hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah, because at the time that was like the most kind of but seeing you know seeing other people and knowing other people who are um going through something and that's something that's been really interesting and quite rewarding was sort of reaching out to other industry practitioners the dop dale mccready and she's she worked with um a director i know quite well john alexander i did a thing up here called trust me and she did um belgravia and seeing talking to her and hanging out with her. And then there's a, a director, um, MJ Bassett, who, whose lad I think I knew on a job, Richard, years back. Um, and she directs like absolute balls to the wall action movies. She did strike back, basically. She's kind of, um, and sort of getting to know them sort of on social media, but then sort of, you know, kind of reaching and, and having this sense of just like, again it's all of our experiences are so different Mm -hmm. and so idiosyncratic and there's you know 
there's maybe actually no common ground in in when you when you look at what's happened to all of us and the way we see ourselves but just being able to do that and have those conversations within the film industry particularly or within the creative industries um is amazing um there's a um uh jamie jefferson who runs a digital agency up here called equator um and it's sort of locally both in our past lives sort of through commercial world and it's fascinating sort of seeing how people are you know dealing with the way they interact with the world and i think i've been blessed i think i've been very lucky in my work practice particularly um because of working on film sets it's episodic and you're a new face every time and everyone's a new face every time and so seeing the way that i'm not dealing with like entrenched expectations mm. versus someone who maybe works in an office and has worked with the same people for 15 years and the struggles they have with going stepping out into the workplaces themselves yeah because i got to the last job like no one knew james actually it's a lie two people on the project i worked with previously who were part of my team um who are sort of lifelong friends and and i knew they'd not have any issue and they'd you know they'd rock it but everybody else only knew me they only knew the person they met and that was amazing that for me was gave me the strength to actually come back nor because I was terrified of meeting my peers up here again and dealing with that. But kind of, you know, that sort of eight months in London forging ahead has been, yeah, it, it's been really useful. Great. I'm just like, I'm Amazing. looking at the time and I'm like, we could keep talking to you forever. So we'll maybe have to just do a part two, but also when um, we can okay. get back outside, uh, we owe you uh, uh, some form of IPA. Um, I also drink wine and all the gym, so it's fine. Okay, oh, well, you got to drink everything. Like, who's fussy around here? <laughs> I mean, when we can get back out, not just like when we're allowed to play. Not like now, okay. drink not like now. <laughs> I thought you were totally calling me out saying you need to drink more right now. Like, I was like, totally, well, totally drink more right I'm now. I'm just trying to. I'm just dragging everyone down to my level. I'm drinking daily and I'm drinking too much. I'll say it. It's happened. I, it's I'm not condoning it, but I am trying to bring people to my level. I want to ask one more question before um, yeah, okay. we sign off. And my phone is probably going to die, and I'm notorious for my phone dying. So if it does cut, I continue on and live your dream. But <laughs> I'd love to know. Um, we sometimes ask this. We did this a lot uh, in our uh, Women of Fringe series last year, and I, I'd like to bring it back because I. Well, I talked about really... work enough. That's the only question I'll ask. You, oh my gosh. Okay. you've talked about everything you've covered like so many lovely aspects i would love to know what when you hear the words persistent and nasty what does that mean to you what does that mean to me um and it doesn't need to be positive you can also- so should we try again <laughs> yes Once please more okay everyone be really quiet so it's the idea that it makes me think of, of like the way that women are described in workplaces and the way that something that let's say a inverted commas man would do would be seen as uh bold but would be or or decisive or something like that would be seen as bossy as a negative trait within women and it's like the words would be used to you know the words persistent and nasty would be leveled at a woman but a man they would be saying um tenacious and doesn't take any shit 
you know yes it's like it's just like well actually if that's the language you want to use yeah Yeah. let's have it yeah and again that's that weird you know that that moment of of self-awareness as well you know like I talked about it before but my my white male privilege that I've used and it's just like oh my god Mm. you know and now that I'm in a much more open space with the women I work with now I mean that's that's a revelation the amount of people accept me into their hearts and my team particularly the way that they share with me and talk to me in a way that they would have never spoken to mm. Jane and seeing firsthand how all of that impacts them and I think that's one of those fascinating moments it's that and it's again it's maybe not maybe it's not the narrative that anyone wants to hear but there's this weird thing about asking men to see it from a woman's point of view. But the language and the dis- discourse between the man and the woman is never level enough for them to em- empathise effectively. Struggle with that word then. That's my second drink. <laughs> empathise effectively enough to see it. And it part of my, you know, journey. Let's use that, that word. That Two strikes and you're out. <laughs> God. Um, has been to see that because what's happened is that the discussions I have with my female colleagues now are not the discussions that they once were. And there's a level of honesty and a way that I get spoken to and the way I can speak to them that shows me an insight. And I feel like the veil has been pulled back and I can see both sides of it. Um, it's As you weird. straddle it. Yeah, indeed. Let's <laughs> straddle that, that mother rock. <laughs> Um, but it's but, it, but there's all sorts of issues um but it's it's there's certain structures that men are subject to people who aren't particularly aggressive or alpha yeah like when you see this concept of um like asking people and this is this is this is a controversial concept but it's the idea of asking people to call out their peers on their behavior and it's just like, okay, that's all well and good. And it is, and, it's, and it should be demanded. But the threat of violence that exists in male social groupings, if you step outside the norm, mm-hmm. is astonishing. The threat of violence that is levelled at anyone who presents as less than masculine in those situations is astonishing. And... And this is part of the issue is because the society isn't built to have that discussion. Men aren't built to have that discussion. It's not something that's referred to. And it's not saying that it devolves anyone of any responsibility, but it's just like, you know, I was at school. I was part of that game. I've seen it firsthand. I dealt it firsthand. You know, I've been there on both sides of the straddling that fence again. But the way that the ingrained oh, they're just roughhousing. So no, it's physical intimidation, it's violence and it's assault. And it infects and it suppresses the good. Mm-hmm. You know, the damage done by that sense, the idea of the patriarchy, the damage done is holistic. Yeah. It smashes into both genders. It smashes yeah. into everyone's society. And I think that's one of those things that we struggle with as, 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 a, as, a, as a species massively. Mm-hmm. is that you try and fix one side of the problem. You try and fix what the patriarch is doing to women. 
and you're just like you need to fix what it's doing to men because yeah exactly and I think that that's what's it is it can be really difficult because I think when you say stuff like oh let's smash the patriarchy they presume immediately that you're trying to that you hate men men and you want to smash men that's not how this works yeah it's just it's such it's a not complex about, you know it's it's i think it's fascinating because again the language isn't fit for purpose because that word conjures in people's minds they think the patriarchy is male power yeah it's like no it's not no one no one's taking your job away no one's saying you can't be successful what they're saying is is that the systems by which you use your power and the behaviors you use with your peers with other men with women that is broken and dysfunctional yeah. yeah that needs we that's the reset button yeah absolutely you know but that's a really difficult thing because again how do you convey that to someone whose mindset is baked in who hasn't had to be you know i'm particularly self-aware because i've turned my life inside out mm. you know i sort of always had to be but it's you know it's um yeah, I'll leave you with that nugget. That's a yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> yes. Sorry, did I just go off there? No, not at all. I absolutely love it. I think we might have lost Misha. So, um, okay. but that's okay. Uh, Jamie, when we are back in actual, you know, the actual real world, when we do our next live event, I would love it if you've got something you want to submit to us. To, um, okay. On. Like, I think it would be amazing. Um, um, in, in what form? Like, Well... Uh, you know, well, well, usually it's in a form of a script, but we we can do short film, anything. So you can support the beautiful Jamie Lapsley. Um, Jamie has a Patreon. With it's got three followers and they're all friends. <laughs> hundreds of subscribers. You want to get some of that exclusive content because, Jamie, I know that you've been doing your concept art. Um, I, I was actually wondering about concept art. Is that something that you would do as part of your production design anyway? And that's, it just wouldn't get seen otherwise. So that's something I would do. Um, and, uh, yeah, like the kind of level of project I work, I've, I always draw everything I'm, I make and I kind of, priding myself on it looking exactly like the drawing you know i remember having that comment made to me um and we've done it a few times in recent years when people have been genuinely surprised when they've walked on set and gone oh it looks exactly like the drawing it's like that's the job that's what we do (laughs) that's why i'm fucking good you know it's like it's it's you know it's an expected component of let's say a warner brothers production okay on a four-part BBC drama no one expects to see a painting of what the set will look like whereas my process my design process particularly is um laborious is probably the best way to describe it but I'm I I, you know it comes from theatre and it's narrative and it's dramaturgy and it's distilling it's it's basically discovering what the problems are in the story and how you solve those problems with design and it's not about what it looks like so you come to the vision right at the end what you're doing as a designer is solving storytelling issues and 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 filling in the gaps for the audience and helping the characters feel like they've got a cohesive world and the and the and then and the identity of the piece is consistent and then for me i do all of that intellectual exercise working with my collaborators with the writer with the director and by the time it comes to say what's it look like it kind of just 
there's like a different it's weird I'd never present options it just comes out you're like take it, it or leave it I know you're gonna take it because it's fucking hot well but that's the thing is you know because by that point in the process I've I've actually rationalized all of those choices so the, mm. the design work I do based on my own taste and based on my collaborators taste but in story terms it is supporting the narrative and there's and you and we could do it lots of different ways and they'd all be right but it's just like so I found that for me, you know, using like Photoshop and SketchUp and creating a full visual of what the finished article would be. And I pride myself on my sets. And, and, and that, a lot of that is the lighting and, and sort of prescribing with the DP, how it looks, like how it's lit. For me, you know, design is, is space. It's, mm. it's, it's figures in shadow and figures in light. And it's about depth and and movement um you know color is subjective in a way and can flow and can be reinterpreted um doesn't have the meaning people think it does you know like you do you can't control an audience's emotion through color you can reinforce a theme but you, you know like color theory of what things mean like that doesn't work so so basically these are intellectually and artistically masterpieces and people should 100% <laughs> subscribe to your patreon so they can see these absolute works of art yes, yes. i will somehow give you a link i think yeah that's um, great send us a link and we'll put it in the description box and um, we'll put it out on all the socials and all of that amazing <laughs> <laughs> um i'm a genius Amy, obviously. obviously you are a genius <laughs> Jamie, this has actually been like, I think, one of my favourite podcasts and I definitely am a little bit in love with you. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, As always, stay well, stay healthy. And stay nasty. nasty. If you enjoy the Persistent and Nasty podcast and support the work that we do, please like, download, subscribe and review each episode. It really does help us get our message out and our incredible guests heard to as many people as possible.